Hello, hello, my fellow podcast people. I hope you're doing very, very well on this fine Thursday evening or whatever day and time it is for you right now as you're listening to this podcast episode. I'm your host, as per usual, Azrin, the language nerd. You can find me online on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, TikTok, and LinkedIn. My username on all these platforms is exactly the same. It is at polyglotazrin. That is spelled P-O-L-Y-G-L-O-T. AZ or Z depending on your country, R-E-N. You can also simply search Azrin the Language Nerd on whatever your favorite social media platform is. So again, that is spelled A-Z or Z-R-E-N, the Language Nerd. And welcome to another podcast episode. I am very, very excited as per usual to be recording this one here. I want to share something that I'm really excited about. And it is my Mandarin fluency. So right now, actually not right now, but approximately one week ago, maybe a little bit less, I had a realization. I feel that I've achieved a certain level of fluency in Mandarin. I think there are many people, many language learners across the world who if they had my level of Mandarin, they would say, yes, I can speak Mandarin fluently. So what does this mean? This means that I'm able to If you throw a Chinese or a Taiwanese or a Mandarin speaking person in front of me, we're going to be able to converse. They're going to be able to ask me things. I'm going to be able to respond. I'm most likely going to understand the stuff that you say in reasonably simple conversations. I'm by no means near native level fluency. I'm by no means like I can't just turn something on the television and magically start to follow it. That's going to be difficult. I can't just listen to any song and magically understand everything that's happening. Like there's a lot I still have left to do, but this is a special moment for me because I know this feeling, this feeling I have, this level of fluency that I have is something that I felt um, once before in particular. And it was when I was learning Spanish. You see, when I was learning Spanish, I remember this point roughly around the three to four year mark. So I've been learning from, I've been learning Spanish for three or four years. And I remember this time when I was pretty good at Spanish. Like I remember having a good grasp on the pronunciation. I had a great accent. I knew a lot of the words. I could talk to you. You know, I could understand a lot of what you said. I can get things across. I wasn't fluent by any means. But there's this feeling, a feeling of comfort. There's a certain there's a certain comfort level I had with Spanish where suddenly I wasn't actually I wasn't actually super duper nervous to speak it anymore. In fact, I was actually almost excited. It's almost like it's almost like I'd gotten over the hump. I'd gotten over the difficulty hump. And now, while there's still lots of stuff at the time for Spanish, while there was still lots of stuff that I had left to learn, you know, now that I, I felt comfortable and I could have basic conversations without having to worry, I could talk to you without having to crazy worry about it. Since I'd achieved that kind of level, now the learning became really, really fun and not necessarily something that was a nerve wracking or really mentally exhaustive kind of process. And I find, I think recently I've been realizing that I think I've hit a similar kind of level in my Mandarin. It took me a little bit longer than Spanish. Spanish, like I said, was three or four years. Mandarin has been something closer to five. Now, granted, I'd be very curious to see the number of hours I've put into each language, because I will say this, when I compare the two trajectories between Spanish and Mandarin, um, Spanish, I did two separate immersion trips. They were one month each. 
Mandarin, I've done two separate immersion trips, although it was a total of three months and not two. Or actually, one, two, three. I'm sorry, I lied. One, two, three, almost four months, not two. But for Mandarin, I was, I've was i not been doing a Mandarin full-time degree at university, but for Spanish, I was. I was speaking as much French and Spanish on a daily basis as I was English when I was a university student. In the early years, it was actually more Spanish because I used to like do three or four hours of Spanish a day. So even though I was slightly faster at Spanish, I actually wonder if I, if I had tracked every hour if ultimately I'd, I've put in a roughly the same amount of hours into each language to achieve a similar level of fluency. Which brings me to an interesting point. There are people who will say that certain languages are inherently more difficult than others. That XYZ language is actually more difficult than blah 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 language. I think that there can be truth to this. I think for certain individuals, one language might come easier than another, one might feel easier, one might take a little longer, one might take a little less time. Look, I think that that can work on an individual level, but I've got to say something. I think that to achieve, um, at least for me personally, this isn't backed up by any research. For me personally, so far, with my experience with language learning, I think it takes, relatively speaking, a similar amount of time to achieve a very fluent sort of level. So the amount of time it's going to take me to be like, yeah, I speak Mandarin, something comparable to a native speaker. I'm not perfect. There's a lot of stuff I don't know, but I'm comparable to a native speaker. I think the time it takes me to achieve that kind of level, at the end of the day, is probably going to be something very similar to the time it took me to get to that level in Spanish. Spanish will be a little bit less, I think, because I had French before going into Spanish, so there's a little bit of a connection point there. So there might be a little bit of extra time on Mandarin, but ultimately I think it's going to be something kind of sort of similar within the same ballpark of timing and effort. So just an interesting thought process I was having, and I wanted to share this kind of success point that I had. Um, the other thing with languages that I was thinking about that I want to share that hopefully comes as a comfort point for people that are listening. Um, when I look at myself as a language learner, I, I, I don't view myself as someone who is necessarily extremely efficient with language learning. In other words, I don't view myself as someone who just gets concept concepts faster than the average person. In fact, often things really take time for me to sink into my brain. I have to put time into it, I have to put a lot of effort into it. Arguably speaking, I probably put more effort into language learning than the average person does to get to results that the average person sometimes gets to faster. When I look at my Mandarin level currently right now, it's been five years. Five years of a reasonably consistent effort. Within those five years, I spent four months, uh, one, two, three, a little over four months even, almost five now, no, almost, no, four and a half months basically, four and a half months in Mandarin-speaking countries, immersed, taking intensive lessons, like I've spent a lot more money on my language learning than other people have to achieve a kind of comfortable conversational level. So I share that because, you know, I've actually been wondering that if I'm able to get to these kinds of very strong levels in a language, I think that other people can too, because I don't think I'm actually necessarily 
extremely talented with language learning per se. Maybe I am. Maybe. I don't know. I, this, is a, this is a new thought process for me. I've been thinking about it recently. But I, I work so much harder at languages than 90% of the people in the world or a big percentage of the people that are learning languages. But my results sometimes come a lot slower than other people, which is interesting to look at. So I think that's a very comforting point that if I'm able to figure a lot of stuff out, I think most or many other people can also figure stuff out and get to kind of a very advanced or very strong or conversational or whatever language goals you have. Um, changing gears a little bit, I want to talk about some things that are more, uh, a little bit more on the language teaching side, a little bit on the business side, and a little bit on a personal side. It's a little bit of a tri-blend, I suppose you could say. Um, so I was thinking about something when you are a a self-employed teacher, right? Like I work for myself, I, I run my own small business, but I teach languages, right? I think there's a few different skill sets that are extremely important. I think one skill set that matters is the ability to observe your students and understand them as a understand your students like uh, how do I say this understand your your students on as deep of a level as possible their learning styles their preferences them as a human right and to build rapport and have common ground I think having a good relationship with your students is a really really is a really really important element right and to be honest it goes past this relationship I think you have to understand your students so that you're able to actually structure things and teach things and work in a way that 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 matches their needs. So a good example, two good examples of this. Um, number one happened very, very recently, literally like maybe 20 minutes ago. I was teaching a private lesson with a student of mine. And I've got to be real. He's a very different individual. I mean, everyone's different. But the, but the way I have to teach him is a little bit unique. Number one, we've I've realized I don't even know if he said it, like something made me realize this student needs to spend about 25 to 50% of our lesson not actually learning anything. If I try and make him learn for the whole time, it doesn't work. It actually doesn't. It's a really weird unconscious thing I've realized by observing his, his behavior, his habits, his patterns, right? I actually need to spend 25 to 50% of the lesson not literally just talking to him and being a friend. Literally. That's how it is. In fact, I've noticed that we cannot get into French. The best way, the best lessons that we have, the ones where he's the most engaged, we get the most done, ironically, is not where I try to jump into French, but it's where I literally treat it like we're just hanging out, and he tells me, all right, what are we doing for French? Those are the best lessons. I've noticed that behavior pattern. He's also a person who... um, who is a kinesthetic learner to the extreme. So you've got, literally, we're in a public space. We weren't being disruptive, but we are in a public space. And we're playing Simon Says, and he's making me move my hips. He's like, Simon Says, in French, Simon Says, move your hips. Simon Says, stand on one feet, foot while you move your hips. I'm in a public space, standing on one leg, moving my hips, my fingers in the air. I'm moving my finger, and my wrist is going side to side. People are looking at us. There's no doubt. We're not being disruptive. We're off at our own little corner and stuff. But that's what we're doing. Because that is what he needs, right? And I had to kind of... It took me a, it took me a good... Like, it might have taken me four months to, like, 
figure that or six months or like it took me a while to figure that a lot of this out as it does for a lot of my students it takes me a while to get to know them and really nail it down but you've got to be able to figure that out second example i've got some group classes i learned this early this year even in group classes and it's harder to do this we've got to when you have 10 people in a class you have to be observant to look at each individual and your one hour two hour lesson to 10 people is actually 10 mini lessons you're actually doing you have to structure things where everybody's getting something out of it it's difficult but the biggest key to do so is you've got to be paying attention when are they engaged when are they not engaged what kind of questions is so-and-so asking you have to take notes about people if you need to or you have to be you have to really be paying attention and in many ways it's actually a sales skill i actually think as i'm thinking about it salespeople, really good salespeople, um in many ways have a similar skill set of being able to really observe human behavior to understand how you are as a human I think it's a very similar kind of skill set. Talking of sales, speaking of sales, this is a very hardcore salesy kind of thing. Follow up is really important. You've got to when when someone says they're going to like when you got a student who owes you money or who wants to pay for classes and they said they're going to pay you on a certain time, you have to give them a reminder, text them a reminder that the payment deadline's coming up. If they don't pay the very next day, ask them again. If they say, let me think about it, let them think about it, then ask them again. Following up about payments is really important because language classes are not a priority for most people. It's not the highest priority in their life and they're going to forget. They're not going to think about it. It's it's just a lower priority. They have to be on top of it. You have to be proactive if you want to actually get paid. Don't be pushy. You've got to be proactive and people actually, believe it or not, as long as you approach it with kindness, with, with with tactfulness, and you're not pushy, and if they said no, then you're no, you're out. You never bother them again. Like don't bother people who said no. But if someone's like, "Hey, I gotta check my budget. Can I text you tomorrow?" Absolutely. Let them text you tomorrow. If they don't text you, if they don't text you tomorrow, though, two days later, you gotta follow up. Hey, did you get a chance to check your budget? Nine times on ten, they forgot, or they who the heck knows what happened, right? So that's another big thing that I was thinking about. Um, the last kind of thing I'll talk about, then we'll wrap this podcast up, is kind of an interesting little thing. I, when it comes to working for myself, and, and and maybe even life in general, but let's keep it in a work context for now. Heck it, no, you know what, screw it. Let's keep this in a life context, but it works for work as well. Um, I think taking a long-term view on things is really important. I've been thinking about this more and more. Um, you know, one of the reasons, so I recently was able to go find like 25 30 new students in two three weeks that's pretty crazy i went from like like a crazy amount i was able to fill these group classes and we went like literally the number of new students i found in such a short period of time was crazy but i honestly think it's because of the long-term thinking approach that i have in my work life i was really i was really not surprised but i was really um it was noteworthy so i teach so much for free i teach I, i teach seven hours a week for free for free, no strings attached. I take calls with students, with Skype calls with, not with students, sorry. I take Skype calls with followers to answer questions for free. I answer every message, every comment you ever leave me. I do a lot of stuff for free that I'm paving. I'm just trying to be a nice guy. <laughs> and me being a nice guy is literally like a law. It's almost a long-term business strategy in many ways because it's a win-win situation. 
by me being just a nice guy and just always trying to be nice, always trying to be the bigger person, worst case scenario, I get friends. I just get new friends. I get to meet lots of people. It's cool. I get to talk to talk to you. I get to hang out with people. I get I get lots I get new friends and I love I love people. That's the worst case by being a good person, being a kind human, right? Being moral, following moral stuff, like trying to be I'm trying my best to be a good person. Not a perfect person. That's hard. Impossible. But good, right? Trying my best. Best case scenario, I get friends and I get money. But because because now that I've been a good person, I've earned your trust, you like me. If you ever want to buy something that I sell, you're going to go to me because you like me. We're friends, right? So worst case, friends, which is amazing. That's not even a worst case. That's so awesome. Best case, friends and money. That's kind of how I, I, I view it. But that's a long-term strategy. I have to have no... And I, I want people to kind of think about this, right? Especially if you're self-employed, like in life in general. I think it's a long-term thing because that means that I can never expect anyone to give me money. I have to have no expectations of people. I just have to be a good guy and know that karma works and the chips will play out in my favor. So I think in, in, your, in, in, in life, it's a good way to view things. Be a good person. Ask for stuff, especially if you're in sales. You got to ask. You got to ask people to buy stuff. There's nothing wrong with asking, but no expectation, I think, is a big one. Um, so yeah, be a good person. Play the long game know the chips will work out karma works for you right karma works um it's very practical karma's practical it'll work <laughs> um and yeah so all right let's wrap this up i know the second half wasn't super duper language oriented but just some stuff i wanted to share i appreciate your attention as per usual and we will talk next time bye for now see you